0: Hey guys, this is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast. If you're looking for a show that explores all things paranormal with dramatic storytelling, historical research, relevant science, and witness accounts, check out our show online at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com or through your favorite podcast player. Hello my friends, and welcome to a special holiday episode of Strange Origins. If you're new, then welcome! My name is Paige, and each week I deep dive into the history of something weird that you've probably pondered the history of. Seeing as it's the holidays, I took to social media and found that people wanted to learn about the history of a monster that has deep roots in Europe and That monster is known as Krampus. My first experience learning about who Krampus was, was seeing the film that came out a few years ago with Tony Collette and Adam Scott. I hadn't really watched any holiday horror films at that time as they're kind of a newer thing, but it served as a great introduction. For those of you that celebrate Christmas, you know that the promise of presents, a decorated tree, some stockings filled with toys, and chocolate-covered treats are just a few of the staples of the holiday. Others may celebrate the birth of Christ, given that it is technically Christ's mass. But even if you celebrate another holiday or are non-denominational, it seems no one can avoid the sight of Santa Claus for long. And as it is with a lot of stories, people began exploring the darker mythology behind the idea. Essentially, Krampus is the antithesis, or direct opposite, of Santa Claus. And to more fully explain his existence, I think that I need to delve into the history of the Jolly Old Man, to better explain the different aspects of Krampus. Going back a little less than 2,000 years ago, We can trace the history of santa claus to one of the most celebrated saints of all time saint nicholas living in 280 a.d in what is now turkey saint nicholas was a monk whose parents had passed away from the plague when he was young he was greatly admired for his selflessness giving away all of his inherited wealth and belongings and traveling the countryside in order to help the sick and the poor living a fairly Christ-like life. One of the more famous stories concerning St. Nicholas involves him rescuing three young girls from being sold into slavery by providing them with a dowry that allowed them to marry into respectable families. Through time, St. Nicholas became the Saint of Sailors. After passing through a storm on a trip to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage, after having a dream that warned him of danger ahead, Nicholas told the sailors that they would soon hit rough weather, but that all would be okay in the end. When attempting to tighten some ropes, one of the sailors fell and was thought by all to be dead. Nicholas prayed for the storm to stop, and after the weather calmed, he prayed over the man who miraculously was revived, quote, as if he had only been asleep. After finishing his pilgrimage, walking to the places Christ had walked, Nicholas came across a group of bishops, who told him that they were informed by God that the next person to walk through the gate of their church named Nicholas was to be the next bishop, replacing the bishop of Myra, who had recently passed on. This made him one of the youngest bishops elected. Later on, he helped his people through many tribulations, such as famine. When crops in his land began to fail, he was said to travel through his dreams, communicating with a grain merchant in far-off Italy who was asleep and readying to transport a ship full of grain to Egypt the next day. In his dream, he offered the merchant three gold coins in exchange for the food to save his people. The merchant agreed in his dream and, upon waking up, found three gold coins in his hand. Though he did strive for a peaceful life, he wasn't always perfect. Once during an ecumenical council, which was a forum where Christian denominations could discuss the differences in what they deemed doctrine, he became so enraged by the words of another man who argued that Jesus was inferior to God that he stood up in front of everyone and slapped him across the face. After being sent to jail and chained up, he told of communication with Jesus and the mother Mary. When Jesus asked why he was in chains, he replied, "...because of my love for you." He was found by the guards the next morning free from his chains and in his bishop's clothing, reading scriptures. When St. Nicholas died in 347, He was buried in a tomb, and his belongings were seen as holy relics. Visitors to his grave site began noticing that the area smelled strangely sweet, and the area where he was stored seemed to leak a strange substance. Those who touched the liquid reported that certain ailments were cured. People soon began to flock to the grave to be cured by use of what is called the manna of Saint Nicholas. After his remains were transported to another location by sailors, his new casket, which was then made of marble, also began to sweat the strange. In the 1950s, Nicholas's remains were seen again by an anatomy professor who noted that his bones had been laid on a linen sheet and that the manna was somehow pooled under the bones. For hundreds of years now, the manna has been collected and stored in special bottles every year on May 9th. Today, Saint Nicholas is celebrated on December 6th. This became known as a lucky day to get married or make a large purchase in Eastern countries. Even when saints began to be less celebrated, Saint Nicholas was revered by all, especially by those in Holland. There, he was called Sinterklaas, a shortened version of the Dutch way to say Saint Nicholas. This love of him transported all the way to the Americas in the late 1700s when Dutch families gathered to remember the death of who they called Sinterklaas. Washington Irving, the famous writer, even went so far as to refer to Nicholas as the patron saint of New York in his book about the history of the city. At that point, he dressed a little different than he does today, sporting a blue hat with three corners a red waistcoat, and yellow stockings. Christmas transformed into a commercial event in the 1800s when stores began advertising for special sales, seeing an uptick in purchases for children around that time. In the thousands of children flocked to a store in Philadelphia for the chance to see a life-size Santa Claus model, and by the 1890s, the Salvation Army began using Santa costumes to attract donations to pay for the free meals they provided every year to those in need. One of the more influential things to happen to the image of Santa Claus was the publication of the poem, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas," written in 1822 by Clement Moore, an Episcopal minister. From that poem was born the idea that Santa was a fat, jolly old man who slid down chimneys and drove a sled, Led by eight flying reindeer. When the Civil War came along in the 1860s, Santa was even used in political cartoons. Cartoonist Thomas Nast, who is famous for attributing the American imagery of the donkey for the Democratic Party and the elephant for the Republican Party, based his famous drawing of Santa on himself, with his beard and rotund figure. A supporter of civil rights and the abolitionist movement that sought to end slavery during the Civil War, Nast used Santa in at least one political cartoon that he drew seeking to provide more support to soldiers' families at the time. This illustration depicted a Santa with arms full of toys for children and also carried an army backpack, a dress sword, and a belt buckle. Slowly, he began to transform into the Santa we now know, with a red and white fur-trimmed suit that helped to keep him warm in his sleigh at night. Today's Santa is a staple of the holidays, they seem to be everywhere, from television to malls to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. He encourages selflessness, kind behavior in children, and pretty much good feelings all around, much like his predecessor, Saint Nicholas. Krampus, on the other hand, is the story parents tell children as a cautionary tale. Modern American tradition typically only states that bad behavior will be rewarded by a lump of coal as an alternative to toys or food. The name Krampus is derived from the German word for claw, and he is most known for threatening children with beatings by branches or sticks. And in some countries, gold-painted bundles of branches are given to households as a reminder to children to be well-behaved near the holidays. In more extreme versions, he is even known to eat naughty children or drag them down to hell, which, in my opinion, seems a bit extreme. But then again, I'm not a parent. Some believe that Krampus has pre-Christian origins as signs point to him as being son of the Norse god of the Underworld, Hel. In pagan terms, he was what was referred to as a satyr, which in Greek mythology is a half-man, half-goat being. Originating from the eastern and central Alps of Europe, it makes sense that he would take on the appearance of a hairy, horned animal, as that would be who would be able to survive the cold winters in the mountains. The bundles of branches he beats children with are thought to be from his pagan history as well, as they were often involved in initiation rites. He also is known for having hooves, fangs, and a long pointed tongue. He carries chains, which are thought to symbolize how the Christian church bound the devil. Usually, he also is featured with a basket strapped to his back that makes carting naughty children off to hell a much easier task to complete. In some stories, it's a bag which greatly resembles Santa and his big red bag full of Christmas gifts. Today in Austria and Germany, Krampus runs, and I'm going to butcher this, but they are also known as Krampuslauf. People dress up as the creature and chase passerbys. In the 1930s, he was deemed too scary to be impersonated in Austria, under the far-right Dollfuss regime, and in the 50s, pamphlets titled, Krampus is an Evil Man, were passed out. Anyone impersonating him was immediately arrested. The ban didn't last long, though, and celebrations on December 5th, called Krampusnacht, and which is the eve of St. Nicholas's Day, soon resumed. With people dressing up in more and more elaborate costumes, often involving wood masks that required months of work to carve out. By the 2000s, Krampus made his way to the United States, where, much like the Grinch, he was celebrated for his dislike of good tidings and cheer. While celebrations for the creature have existed for quite a long time in European countries, Those traditions have traveled across the ocean, and several Krampus festivals take place in cities like Bloomington, Indiana. There, visitors are encouraged to wear stickers that either deem them as naughty or nice. The naughty ones are subject to harassment and lashings from Krampus impersonators, while those deemed nice are left alone and given candy. While many paint Krampus as an enemy of Santa Claus, often in war with him, it's more truthful to the history of the pair that they work in tandem. Santa Claus rewards good children while Krampus is busy doling out punishments to those who have misbehaved. In a way, he allows Santa to be the good guy he is, since there have been and always will be those naughty children that just don't learn. Thank you so much for joining me this episode. I hope that you have a happy end of the year, no matter where you are or what your beliefs are, and that 2021 will be just a little more joyous than this year was. As always, everyone, don't forget to keep it strange.